In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, my topic basically is um, the, the evolution of music from, and we will discuss where music begins, as it's a contentious issue, and how it's been, as it were, um, hijacked, that's the word I use with caution, uh, from its original intention, which was to worship God, uh, into basically um, today's um, cacophony, okay? How did that happen? And how come the most popular music that exists today has nothing to do with God? It has nothing to do uh, with sacred music. It has nothing to do uh, with the praise of God. Why is it that that has happened? But I want to know what music is. And um, there are many theories about what music is. But one thing we can say about music is that it is a, a, a sort of an amalgamation of sounds that make a harmony, some kind of harmony, some kind of aesthetic uh, element to it. There is an aesthetic element to, to, to music. Um, and from the very beginning, uh, where we ask what is music, we ask, so how does music work in a human being? The question is, is music something that we learn? Like, is it, is it something that has to be socialized, something that is conditioned? Or is it something innate in us that we have from the very beginning? That, in other words, there's a seed in the human that makes him or her sing. What is it, you see? Um, now, singing comes from the vocal cords. Uh, music comes from the vocal cords, unless you're playing an instrument. So the human vocal cord is capable of many things. It's capable of talking, and I had <laughs> some things there to show you. Uh, it's capable of um, laughing. Um, it's capable of singing. Um, it's capable of screaming, of crying, and, um, and actually shouting. Let's go through this. Now, talking. I'm talking to you now because I'm using my vocal cords, okay? Speech and the, the, the way in which I learn, I'm speaking English to you now. And by speaking English to you, I'm using an Australian accent. Um, perhaps not classical Australian, but it is vaguely Australian with a tinge of American, I think, because of my long years in the United States. Now, talking according to um, a speech and language, according to some psychologists, is innate in us. Noam Chomsky claims that the way that we learn language is basically 
it's already in us. It's like it's in, inside the human being. And all that happens is uh, the child picks up the particular local language and in that way vocalizes what is already innate, the capacity to speak, and, 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 and uses that in the language in which he or she is surrounded. So you can take an African from the Congo as a baby and put him in New York and he or she will speak English with an American accent. But if you left him in the Congo, he or she would be speaking French and the local dialect uh, in that accent. But speech will still occur. And that speech, according to Chomsky, is an innate uh, element of, of human, of being a human being. There is, there is some debate about that, but that seems to be are fairly logical. Laughing, you, you, never, you were never taught to laugh. You were never taught, uh, oh, this is how you laugh. You just, as a baby, and I had, um, um, I had um, a baby laughing, and you can see that um, that baby is not being taught how to laugh. The mother is making funny figures and funny um, kind of gestures, and the baby is laughing. Nobody said to the baby, laugh. The baby automatically laughed. So laughter, singing, talking is automatic. We have it in us. It's, it's innate. We don't, have to, we don't have to learn how to laugh. It, babies laugh. Babies cry. Nobody told the baby, oh, now, you can, now this is how you cry. They just cry. Okay? It's innate. It's innate. Shouting is innate. Nobody says to you, this is how you shout, uh, or screaming. Now, uh, the female of our species is able to scream higher than the male. And there are things that the vocal cords of the female can do that the male cannot do. Uh, for example, um, uh, in Arab weddings, there is a particular sound that women, um, sort of like a yodeling uh, if something, we men can, can't do that. Our vocal cords will not permit us to do that. But the female vocal cord permits that to happen. So again, all these things are part of the capacity of the human to communicate in different ways, whether it's talking, crying, uh, laughing, uh, uh, and singing. Now, I put this in the same category as talking, laughing, crying, and so forth. So the question remains, how did music therefore begin? Since it is a gift that we have, we never had to, um, uh, as it were, get it from outside. It was always part of us to sing. Where does it begin? What are, what are the theories, what are the, um, the hypotheses concerning the beginning of music? Since we were always able to sing. We were always able to sing. How did singing with musical instruments come about? And one theory, and which I reject, but which is plausible, is that it started in Africa. How did it start in Africa? Well, if you go today to a small village in Africa, you will find women and children that are pounding away 
on a wooden, uh, a wooden kind of trough. There may be wheat, it may be some kind of um, um, vegetation, and one hits it with a rod, the other one hits it with a rod, and the other one hits it with a rod. But they do so in a way that the rods don't hit each other. So as the mother puts the rod down and lifts it, the other one will put it down. As the other one lifts it, the other one will put it down. So there's a kind of boom, 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 constant sort of beating, boom, 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 boom. And then you see the other women to that sound of the boom, 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 boom. They're swaying the dish that they're about to get the wheat. So there's a kind of movement of dancing, uh, which is not meant to be for public consumption. It's just part of daily life. It's just the way things are done better and quicker by the rhythmic pounding of the, of the wheat. Just the rhythmic pounding. And drums, which are so important in, in Africa, uh, were also used from perhaps there to send out messages from one village to the other so that a particular type of rhythm means something. Um, the Indians of the United States, what is now called the United States, would use smoke. They would use smoke, smoke signals. But the Africans would use rhythm and, and different types of rhythm. Oh, we're preparing for war, or the enemy is coming, or... Uh, Today we're having a very beautiful feast here. Why don't you come in and, 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 uh, and join us? So the theory goes that music, as we know it today, that is a, a, vocal, a vocal expression with, with, with instruments, begins in Africa. Um, perhaps uh, Australia, although if it was Australia, it wouldn't have got very far because the Australian Aborigine... Uh, did not travel out of Australia. But the didgeridoo is an instrument that is of great interest to musicologists um, um, and so forth. Now, we as uh, Christians, however, um, have the Bible. We have the Bible. And uh, if we look closely into the Bible, you'd be surprised how many times music appears. In fact, I tell you now, it's one of the most dominant themes in the entire Holy Scripture, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Indeed, we find Jesus singing. Uh, we are told before um, um, he went to the cross on Holy Thursday, what we call Holy Thursday, the preparation for the cross, the Last Supper, the mystico dipno, um, we are told in the Gospels that he gathered his disciples together, he instituted the sacrament of Holy Eucharist, and they sang a psalm with Jesus. So we have Jesus singing, you see, uh, without instruments in that case. So what we find in the Bible is that music begins in heaven. Before the world was created, the, the earth um, was created, we find that music existed in heaven already, um, well before the creation of the human being. Um, and music existed uh, in heaven specifically uh, for the purposes of the angelic uh, beings, um, 
praising the Creator. So we find in the, um, the book of Job, is that there now? I'm not sure. Um, now, when Job was afflicted with various um, trials and tribulations so that uh, God would show the devil that uh, Job was a man of God and that no matter what struck him down, he would remain faithful to his God. So, so many things, injury, sickness, uh, leprosy, um, lost his houses, lost his fortune, lost his family, lost everything he had. He never complained, not once. But then at the end, at the end there's a question, why did that happen? I mean, um, and, and there are questions that are asked of God at the end, that Job asks questions and others. And, the, and, and, and one of the questions that is asked by, by Job gets the following response. Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? In other words, you're asking me a question, which is pretty trivial, because who, do you know what I did? I, I created the world. And you ask me some petty question. Where were you when I was putting forward all the foundations of the universe? Where were you when I was creating Mars and Jupiter and uh, the solar system and the Milky Way and those other solar systems outside our Milky Way? Where were you? Where were you, Job? So what, what, what question is this, right? Where were you when the morning stars... Now, one of the terms for... Um, the demons, that the fallen demons, before they became fallen demons, and in particularly the head of the fallen demons, Lucifer, uh, is called before he fell the morning star. And the demons like his followers, the morning stars, right? So where were you when the morning stars um, sang together and all the angels uh, shouted for joy? So we get a picture of Lucifer as a singer, as the head of a choir in heaven. He's the morning star, right? Uh, the Latin word Lucifer means uh, morning light or something. Um, Lucia. Um, and so he's, he's asking the question, look, I had all these angels singing to me well before you existed, well before you were created, Job. And, and so what's the conclusion? That music was already in heaven. So for us Christians, right, if you're not a Christian, you may raise a lot of objections to this. You may say, well, look, you're just using the Bible, okay? I understand that. I understand that. But I'm giving you the biblical understanding of music, okay? So according to the biblical understanding of music, music existed well before you and I existed, well before the earth existed, well before the whole of the universe existed. It existed in heaven. So conclusion, music is heavenly, literally. Music is originally in the first place, in its first original setting, in its first original dimensions, in its first original intention, it was to praise God. It was heavenly. And the words and the instruments, which I will explain in a few moments, um, are all to do 
with the, the choirs of heaven uh, praising uh, uh, the creator, the choirs of heaven praising God. And other, other um, instances where we find music before the world was created. So it's not our invention. It's not something we humans have invented. It is something we have received from heaven. It is something we have received from God. And that is why we don't learn to use our vocal cords. Nobody teaches us. I wish I could show you a baby singing. They just sing. They just, no music teacher, no, nothing, no nothing. Just, they start singing. Okay? So where did they get that from? Now, I'm not saying they're singing with the capacity of a Justin that we have here. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying the concept of singing is already innate in the baby. The baby sings without anybody teaching it how to sing. The baby laughs without anybody teaching it how to laugh. The baby talks eventually with, with a voice that it receives, but the, but the speech itself is innate. Whether it's Congo or New York, whether it's Melbourne or whether it's Fiji, the baby will talk, okay? Uh, and the baby will scream, and the baby will laugh, and the baby will sing. Nobody teaches it how to sing. How come? Well, because, and this is where uh, the Bible s seems to be perfectly logical here, because it was originally a heavenly, a heavenly institution, a heavenly, uh, a, a heavenly um, element, a heavenly um, skill that has been given to us. So in the final analysis, for us Christians, it is a gift from God. If, you, if you're able to sing, and all of us are able to sing, not very well, I may add, and particularly um, when you hear me sing, although Father Chris is a great singer, I must say, great chanter. Okay, that didn't go down well at all, did it? I've got to stop my jokes, okay. Um, and, and, and then we find something else, again, about music in heaven. And when he had taken um, the scroll, the four living creatures who are the cherubim and the fallen angels tend to come from the order of the cherubim um, and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, uh, each holding a harp and with golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Apocalypse, uh, whatever chapter was there. So again we find that the cherubim, uh, from which the fallen angels many derive from, and it is thought that Lucifer himself was the head of the cherubim, um, uh, were already singing songs well before you and I ever existed, or any human, Adam and Eve existed. Um, I heard sounds like uh, mass choirs in heaven singing hallelujah. And again, they shouted hallelujah. And they cried, amen, hallelujah. So when John the, the visionary, John the theologian, is caught up in heaven in the island of Patmos, he has a vision of the eternal, things that are there forever. And he sees again and again and again 
this angelic element praising God, the hallelujahs and the amen. So there's no doubt uh, that we find in the scriptures at any rate um, the idea that music is before time. Now in Isaiah, um, as I will now tell you, uh, again we find, I won't read it all, but you will find there as well the idea that the angels, that uh, angels sing to God, holy, 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 Lord Almighty, Ayos, 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 Kyrios Savaoth, Kadosh, 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 Yahweh Savaoth. In, in other words, the so-called Trisayon that we pray and sing already existed in heaven. So what we are doing in the church is just imitating what is going on um, in the heavenly choirs. So, conclusion. Um, Lucifer is the head of the angels. He's director of the heavenly choir, imagine, before the fall, before the fall. Um, he's in charge of stringed instruments um, and also wind instruments and percussion. So in other words, he's a musician. He knows how to sing. He knows how to play instruments. Uh, he knows how to play wind, wind, the pipe, the flute. He knows how to play string instruments, the lyre, the harp, uh, and so forth, and percussion, which means drums. So, um, Lucifer, or the angel of darkness, was created by God in the first place as a very skillful musician. That's an important point to bear in mind in our discussion, because this whole idea that Today's music um, has fallen, and today's music um, has absolutely nothing to do with God and has nothing sacred about it. And in fact, if anything, as I will show you, in some cases invokes and praises the, the Prince of Darkness, open worship, uh, what we would call Satanism, is found in many of our... Uh, of our rock groups, um, as I will show you uh, in a few moments. So, to um, just to make sure we understand each other, the point I'm making is that we have an angel who is glorious and who is um, created with great skills and beauty, and he is a, is a very skillful musician. That's an important point to bear in mind as we move along that he's a, um, an, a musician. However, what happens is, um, as we all know, he falls. Uh, his pomp and his, um, his uh, pride and his um, attempt to rebel against God leads him to be cast out of the kingdom of heaven and he falls. And this is what one, uh, one uh, Ezekiel says, you have been in Eden in the garden of God, you, Lucifer. The, the workmanship of your timbrels, of your tambourine, and of your flute was prepared in the days that you were created. So he was, pre, he was being prepared. So now we ask ourselves, once he's gone from heaven, and once he's being cast out, right, now what? It, does he lose his skills? 
once, he, once, once he's gone from heaven, the question is, did he lose his skills as a musician? Did he lose his capacity to sing and play music? No, he didn't. He didn't. And that's a very important point to bear in mind. So now we come now to the earthly realm um, and ask the question, well then, how did music come to us human beings? At what point did we receive this, um, this playing music with instrument? The Bible says the father of all music is somebody called Jubal in Genesis 4.21. Now, Genesis 4 and 5 is before the angels, uh, before Noah's flood, where we are told that the fallen angels come onto earth and, as it were, have knowledge of earthly women, which could, but does mean um, in the biblical word they, um, they have a union, a physical union, the fallen angels with certain women. And the children of that union are called in the Bible the, the giants, the giants. What happens is that some of the fallen angels give knowledge to particular people that was prohibited knowledge, knowledge that was kept in paradise, um, the, the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so what the demons do is they come here to earth and they begin to give people these secret teachings and these secret skills that were not meant to be given at that point. Um, believe it or not, um, for women, it's eye makeup that was given by the fallen angels, according to the book of Enoch, that the fallen angels come to women and say, you would look more beautiful if you use eye makeup. And they teach them how to use eye makeup um, to to the question of, uh, and other skills like metalwork and so forth, and how to make swords and weapons was given by the fallen angels, okay? Now, when it comes to music and Jubal, who was the father of music, the Bible says, and the father of all those who play the harp, the string instruments, and the flute is Jabal or Jubal. Now, did he get his music from the devil, in the same way that the fallen angels gave secret knowledge to certain uh, people, like metalwork, um, sword making, um, shield making, um, military weapon making, um, um, makeup, uh, and so forth. Where did it come from? So it appears, if we look at the scripture, that it came from God. It didn't come from evil because... If it were from evil, he wouldn't be mentioned. And he wouldn't be, um, as it were, heralded as the father of all music. So we have God's gift to us through Jubal, the first human who receives the gift of music. And from then on, it goes on and on and on. Okay? Now, how do we, where do we go from there? Um... If we look at the scriptures, music plays a very important role now in the whole history of Israel, of Judah and, um, and Israel. For example, David, King David, uh, is described as not only as the king of Israel at one point, 
Not only is he the one who killed Goliath, not only is he was originally a shepherd, but he's also, he's also a, a musician. And as a musician, um, he's called to pacify King Saul. King Saul is going through certain um, psychological challenges, certain psychological problems. Um, he has fits of anger and, and, and fits of um, what we would call today manic depression. Like one day he's okay and he's uh, feeling fine. Then the next day, you know, just like that, something has triggered his mood and he's now uh, beside himself. So they give him David with the lyre to pacify him and to have a, a soothing effect upon him. Um, and it seems to do the trick. Um, now, for Israel, um, they had music specifically for the temple. There was sacred music. Um, David himself composes psalms and is the leader of the choir. And when we read the psalms of David, you will find the instructions how to sing it and how to say it. Um, sometimes the Bible omits those instructions, but if you go to the original Hebrew and even the Septuagint, the Greek translation, you will find there are instructions given in the book of Psalms. Um, the Levites are those who are the choir. The Levites are the singers, the chanters, the instrumentalists uh, in the temple of Jerusalem. And I had a picture of the Levites, but you're not going to get it now for some reason or other. Um, now, what are the musical instruments that God approves of? Praise him with the sound of the trumpet, the harp, the lyre, the timbrel, the tambourine, the drum, and dancing. You see, sacred dancing um, is permitted in the Bible. The only time we Orthodox do a kind of a sacred dance, uh, the priests at any rate, is in a wedding. I don't know if you know that, but there's a part in the wedding called the Ochorosh to Isaiah, the dance of Isaiah, in which the, the priest goes around in a circle and uh, it's meant to be a dance. I don't see much dancing sometimes, but still it's supposed to be a dance. Um, so we are, we are meant to glorify God with the harp, the lyre, the trumpet, and with strings and pipe and the organ. Now, why is it, why is it, now I ask, that in the Orthodox Church, if the Bible says that we are to use organs and trumpets and tambourines and, and flutes, why is it that we don't use the organ? Why is it that only the Protestants um, use, and, and the Catholics use musical instruments in their services? Well, that's just a tradition that has come down to us from Byzantium, due to the development of Byzantine chant, that it did not require musical accompaniment. But also, also in a sense of extreme asceticism, because most of the music in our church and the traditions of the liturgical cycle come from monasteries. They come from monks, Romanos the Melodist, um, and, and St. John of Damascus, and um, some of the other uh, composers of Byzantine music were monks. And so one expects a kind of monastic mentality concerning the music of the Orthodox Church. And 
I have a feeling, I may be wrong, um, that perhaps um, in the monastic circles it was thought that musical instruments were kind of irrelevant, not necessary. Since God has given us a voice, let's just use a voice. That it, it, it seemed superfluous. Now, just my understanding, um, it could be just, you know, monastic asceticism. We don't need any musical instruments. However, however, in the early days of the church, the organ was used in our church. There was definitely the use of the organ. Um, but as time went on in the Byzantine Empire, that too was eliminated. However, the Bible does make it clear that there's nothing wrong with using um, the organ or using... So we can't condemn the Presbyterians for using the organ. We can't condemn um, the, you know, the Methodists for uh, using um, uh, a flute or something. That's perfectly legitimate in their tradition, in their own tradition. Now, out of, out of the, um, out of the uh, tradition of uh, worship in Israel, and Israel stops in the 6th century with the Babylonian, uh, the Sumerian um, invasion of, uh, of, the, of the, the, the invasion of uh, the northern kingdom, and it, it, it stops. Um, but Judah continues. So there's no more Israel, there's only Judah, okay? Um, and they too become exiled in Babylon and return back again and rebuild the temple, the so-called second temple. So the temple that Solomon built was destroyed by the Babylonians. When the, the Judeans, um, you know, by the rivers of Babylon, we cried for Zion. So they are weeping to go back to, um, to Judah, to Jerusalem, and the king of Persia allows them, Cyrus, to go back to Jerusalem, to go back. And so they return back to their homeland and rebuild the second temple. Um, the second temple was not built by Solomon, but it is on the site of Solomon's temple that it was built. And, and we have the continuation of music as a form of worship of God very much similar to the time of David, and, and use of the same instruments, the lyre, the trumpet, the, uh, or, uh, the whatever organ was existing in those days. From that period, now we enter into the Christian period, and we find that the early Christians, when they realized that Jesus is the Son of God, and that God is a trinity, so now they need to develop their own worship now and their own uh, chants and their own songs. Um, but what they do is they, they, they take from Israel, or from Judah rather, the worship forms that you have to have a choir, that you need to have um, holy songs and so forth, and you need to do this and this, and you need incense and so forth, just like the Levites. So we take the form... And we, uh, in the eastern uh, part of Europe, or the eastern part of the Roman Empire, developed eventually what came to be known as Byzantine chanting. Um, and it was mostly performed in the Greek language. The West, on the other hand, that is the demarcation of Europe from Italy onwards, a straight line, Germany down to Italy onwards, um, takes on another sort of version of that which develops into what is known as Gregorian 
uh, chant. So out of this tradition of the Gregorian chant, mostly in Latin, and the Byzantine chant, mostly in Greek, that dominates the Middle Ages. It dominates what is known as late antiquity up to the period just before the Renaissance, around about 1500, okay, and just before the Reformation. So for 1,500 years um, or so, um, we have the, the Byzantine chant as the dominant form of music, and we have the Gregorian chant in the West as the dominant form of music. Even among the people, what could be described as popular music, the minstrels, right, that would go around singing, even they uh, would only use the instruments that were prescribed by the Bible. And while they may sing, they began to um, sing songs that were varying away from God um, into what could be described as it, it was the period of chivalry and the creation of the damsel, the fair damsel. And it's the beginning of what is known as the, the period of romance, the, the romance period, where um, the classical example of that being Romeo and Juliet, um, the, um, the, 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 um, the irreconcilable families that cannot meet while, while the son and daughter fall in love. So, uh, so that kind of uh, element does exist in the Middle Ages, but it is not dominant. It is not a dominant theme um, in, in the music of the people. The people would sing pious songs in the streets. They would sing pious songs or um, innocent songs. Um, sur le pont d'Avignon, l'on y danse, l'on y danse, sur le pont d'Avignon, l'on y danse tout en rond. Um, on the bridge of Avignon, the people are dancing, the people are dancing. On the bridge of Avignon, it's a medieval, it's a medieval poem. So um, it's very innocent. There's nothing erotic, there's nothing violent, there's nothing um, um, demonic, even in the secular part of music of the Middle Ages. Now we come uh, in the period known as the Renaissance and beyond, and what we find there is basically uh, what develops into classical music and Baroque music. Um, again, there is a church element to this music, um, the use of organ and trumpets and so forth. Um, the famous composers that I will mention now, all of them would compose music for church. They would be used in a church setting, Beethoven, Ludwig Beethoven, um, uh, Johann Christian Bach, um, Johann Haydn, um, um, Amadeus Mozart, uh, the Requiem Mass, a classic, uh, was meant for funerals. Um, the Igor Stravinsky, uh, Russian Orthodox, but who created sacred music for the Catholic Church. So the, the music of the Renaissance, moving on to the period that we call today um, the pre-modern period is dominated by, by sacred music and the great composers of the time, um, the main, some of the names I've mentioned, um, use their, their, their inspiration to glorify God. The one that I was going to play for you today was Handel, uh, um, Friedrich Handel, um, George Friedrich Handel, who composed The Messiah. 
and which you sometimes hear it at Christmas in, on the radio and television, um, for unto us a child is born, which is from the book of Isaiah. Um, so it's a pity I can't play it for you, um, but you would have heard Handel's Messiah. Imagine it in your head, and it is there, okay? So I'll just let you imagine it. <laughs> okay, now we come to the modern period, the 20th century onward, late uh, 19th, 20th, 21st century, and we asked ourselves, what is going on with music now? Up to this period, all the mainstream music, mainstream popular music, is more or less um, um, sacred, and if it is not, and the secular aspect of it is fairly innocent, except for um, those groups of people that were involved in witchcraft, Satanism, and uh, rituals, um, you know, human um, uh, sacrificing of the, of, 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 of the roosters and, the, and uh, all those pagan uh, rituals that existed within uh, Christendom um, as a kind of an offshoot that would sometimes take place. Um, Shakespeare uh, uh, talks about the witches and so forth. Um, and they would have used um, uh, demonic music, demonic rituals. But they were a minority, an extreme minority. By and large, the people would um, have in their minds the, the, the great music of um, these great composers, the music of the church, particularly the Catholic Church in the West and in the, in the, in the, in the East. At that time, we were under the Turks. We were under the Ottoman Empire. Um, which is interesting in terms of what happens to our music during that period, because there has been a lot of Turkish influence in popular Greek music. A, a lot of the instruments used in, in the Turkish divan came into Greek music. Uh, I'm not sure about the buzuki, but there are, even the name buzuki is not Greek, by the way. That's something else. Okay, so um, in the modern field, uh, we find something new happening now, that the secularization of music becomes ever more and more and more. And it is unique of all the periods of time uh, in the, from the beginning of Christendom, that that secular music, non-God non music, music which was not directed to the glory of God, becomes now the most popular form of music. Okay, and I will elaborate on this. Um, but, but if there is um, sacred music still going on in, in our centuries, then where, where do we find it? Well, we find it in, in the Orthodox Church, uh, when you come on Sundays or Mondays or whatever, you come to a liturgy, you're hearing a musical tradition that goes back 1,500 years. Right? Some of our chants, Fossilaron, may very well get back to the second century. Okay? Um, for example. But is that widespread? No. It's, 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 it's a, a particular audience, a particular niche, uh, a particular group of people who know this music, relate to it, and understand it. Okay, mainly the church congregation. But beyond the church congregation, do you hear Byzantine chants um, in, um, on, on the mainstream music scene? No. You're not going to hear it. Okay? It's, it's, it's now no longer 
um, in terms of popular pie, uh, popular uh, attention, a mass, a mass uh, musical uh, expression. Uh, it has become a, a particular fringe group that that uses that music, and but will continue to use it. Um, the same thing with the Catholic Church, except for one thing. The Catholics have abandoned the Gregorian chant unless you go to a very, you know, um, traditional Catholic church and have adopted more modern instruments. So it's not unusual to find going to a Catholic mass or liturgy to have guitars and tambourines and uh, organ and people clapping their hands and singing. So this is all part of what the Catholic church calls aggiornamento, Making the church today. Giorno is day. Aggiornamento means to make it alive today. And that was the theme of the Second Vatican Council, 1964. Um, and, and that's why Roman Catholic priests don't wear the collar. They don't wear cassocks. They don't wear um, what we, what Father Chris and I wear. Because it is an attempt by the Catholic Church to aggiornamentalize itself. To make it, um, as it were, um, uh, Contemporary, and therefore they use contemporary music um, in their in their masses. Um, beyond the Catholic tradition and the Orthodox tradition of music, sacred music, we also have the Protestant traditions, uh, the Pentecostal and the Evangelical traditions, and we have what is known as gospel music. Gospel music, and gospel music is in fact quite popular. It is of all these traditions I've spoken about, the modern, um, the modern um, uh, musical tra Christian traditions, of all of them, um, that is the, the, the one that has the greatest outreach in, in, uh, to a mass, a mass audience on mainstream, on the mainstream media. But even they are restricted. Even that is a restricted market, the evangelical a music market, which is more or less uh, the American South, the so-called Dixie Belt, Dixieland, the Bible Belt. Um, some of the um, most well-known um, gospel singers of our time, <clears throat> excuse me, is Amy Grant, a guy called Chris Tomlin, Jeremy Camp, and so forth. Okay, um, they uh, bring out. Uh, Christian music, rock, Christian rock, that has tremendous appeal to an American audience. And they can sell up to a million records. They can sell. Um, so, so that would be the outreach of Christian music today, from the sacred to the more popular forms of, of music. Now we come to the question that I've posed, but why is it that this has happened? Why is it that music... Um, which was originally a gift of God and used in heaven um, and given to us through Jubal to today, how come today most music you listen to uh, on the radio, on YouTube, on mass media, on social media, very little has to do with God. So why is that? <clears throat> well, I go back to this... Um, angel of darkness that fell and I recapitulate my original point he is very skillful as a musician don't underestimate that um, he 
um, probably can compose songs, okay? And music um, has been composed over the years that he has meddled in and interfered in. And today, today you will find that many, many um, singers and groups actually um, no longer pretend to be influenced by him, but make it quite open. And I will, I will, I will make some points here about that. So what, what is the demonic music that exists today? We've spoken about the Christian music up to the modern period, from the Middle Ages, from the early period up to today. Uh, and we've seen that there's been a, dim, a, a diminution of the relevance of God music. Every now and then you get an exception. Uh, for example, in the 60s there was Godspell, and there was Jesus Christ Superstar. And that was very popular, extremely popular. But it dies away. It's sort of like, like an accident that occurs and then dies away. And of course, the theology behind Godspell and Jesus Christ Superstar is very dicey, but at least it brought out the figure of Christ to the mass, to the masses, and the music that would speak about Jesus to a mass audience, and then it's finished. So from the time of Jesus Christ Superstar and Godspell, there's been nothing, there's been nothing on a, such a popular uh, outreach of lyrics that somehow, by hook or by crook, uh, glorify Christ. So let's look now at the reality that we are faced with today. Um, we are faced with demonic music. Um, let me give you, if I may, um, some examples. Uh, what I'm saying is that Originally, music was composed in heaven. Its original intent was the glorification of God, but now it's been hijacked. That original idea has been hijacked. And what we find is that through the mechanisms and the machinations of the angel of darkness, he has used music as a very powerful tool, an extremely powerful tool for the young to influence ideas. What better way to influence ideas than through popular song? I mean, if you look at your own life uh, as a teenager, um, some of the songs that influenced you um, and, and, and may even continue to influence you subliminally. Um, so, the, so music is, is, is a powerful, powerful social weapon for change, a powerful weapon for, for changing people's attitude, and of course, advertisers know that very well to get you to buy something, you see. So music, I can say, has been, uh, some contemporary music um, has been influenced by demons um, and for the purposes of the worship of demons and, and Lucifer. And there's even been created a, a mirror of the sacred image of God into the kind of sacred image of Lucifer where he is now given songs of worship. He's given songs where he is glorified. This began par excellence, if I may, from the 1950s, 1960s onward. The first hint we get, the first hint we get 
that some of these popular musical groups are beginning to dabble in some form of Satanism are the Beatles. The Beatles first, um, at first sang innocently and there was a lot of, um, no big deal, it was, you know, just very fairly, it's been a hard day's night and I've been working like a dog and so forth and, and you know, um, whatever other songs they sang before. Um, from me to you, nothing big deal about that, right? Nothing demonic. Um, and then we have Sergeant Pepper. Now this was going to be Hollywood, big screen. This is all I can give you. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> Sergeant Pepper. Sergeant Pepper is a collection, it's a, it's a revolutionary cover. Uh, in those days they were using LPs, long playing albums, and they had a, a cover. Usually in the 50s and 40s and 30s, you know, Al Jolson, Frank Sinatra, Elvis Presley, just normal front, a picture of Elvis, that's about it, you know, holding a guitar, no big deal. But the Beatles come along and they put this very strange album cover of about 40 people's faces and they are dressed in this kind of uh, British colonial admiralty kind of uniforms. And if you look at the people in that picture, and you, you, who are these people? Well, there's Mae West, there's Marilyn Monroe, there's Edgar Allan Poe, there's a, a strange combination of the intellectuals with the um, Hollywood kind of uh, you know, personalities. One of the figures they have there is Alistair Crowley. Now, this is interesting. Alistair Crowley is, is a, the head of Satanism in the United Kingdom, or was, okay? Why do they have him there? Why would you put the head of Satanism? And by the way, the group he belonged to, are you ready? Golden Dawn, it was called. Aha! That rang a bell. Chrissy right? It, 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 it was a, a Satanist a Satanist cult in the United Kingdom, and Aleister Crowley was part of that. Okay? A golden dawn. So, here we have, for the first time in musical history, in popular musical history, where millions of people are going to buy this revolutionary album. It's sort of the first psychedelic album, right? And everybody's waiting for it in the same way that people are now waiting for Apple's new, you know, computer or something. Um, people were lining up to wait for its release. It, it was an extraordinary uh, moment of history, of musical history. And nobody paid attention to that figure. But that figure was the head of Satanism in the United Kingdom. Why would the Beatles put him there? Right? So that's the question. Soon after, <clears throat> soon after, we have the second uh, group that had that kind of legendary fame, the Rolling Stones. And they, in the beginning, all they are doing basically is playing American rhythm and blues. No big deal, just American rhythm and blues, right? Um, Nothing extraordinary. Um, the hit songs are pretty um, 
no, no big deal. There's songs that, um, and then and then suddenly, in the early 70s, they bring out an album in which they claim to be serving Lucifer in in his in his Majesty's service. A whole album dedicated to to Lucifer, an entire album. And that was a turning point. From then on, um, references to the devil, references to, to Lucifer, are no longer considered to be taboo. It could never, that could never have happened in the 1940s or the 1930s or the 1920s, despite everything going on in the 1920s, uh, the swinging 20s. Nevertheless, Anything like that would have been totally unacceptable. But now suddenly we have an album brought out by a major rock group, if not the major rock group in the 70s, the Beatles had broken up, and that is dedicated to the angel of darkness. Not only dedicated, but wishing to serve him. And the words in that album, which I would not have played here, by the way, um, are basically um, um, praise, praise. So um, that was in the 60s. Since then, since then, references to the devil become no big deal. The door has opened, and whereas before, all the way in musical history up to the early 1920s, where uh, music um, has become a little secularized, but to go all the way and to accept um, worship and devotion to the evil one is unbelievable. Unbelievable. And it happened. And it happened. And then from then on, we find other groups picking that up in, in the evolution or the devolution of music. Led Zeppelin, Alice Cooper, Marilyn Manson, uh, Black Sabbath, and go on and on and on. Not all the music, by the way, was uh, satanic, but there was an element of it in some of their music. So, that opens up the door now for something completely new, punk rock. Punk rock. Punk rock begins in the 70s, the mid-70s, and it's a reaction to the long-haired groups and the, what could be seen as the effeminate element of pop music, you know, um, um, men wearing um, sort of uh, flowery shirts and men wearing um, um, kind of elaborate effeminate costumes. Now the punk rock scene is the opposite, where you, you, it's a reaction to the elaborate stage shows of the Rolling Stones and the Beatles and so forth. It's a reaction to um, musical format, and it, it's basically a one and two chord affair. You play E on the guitar constantly, just a, a, a monodrome of the chord E. Dun, 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 dun. And on top of that, you scream and yell. So it didn't take much musical talent to produce punk rock. And in fact, there were mostly garage, you know, guys, you know, practicing in the garage, they just picked up a guitar about, you know, six months ago. The guy can hardly play the guitar. 
He buys an amplifier, puts it in, and suddenly gets this big sound, and he knows one or two chords, and now they've got a rock group. Okay? Punk rock. And it's basically violent. There's, there's violence involved in there. There is some Satanism involved in punk rock. Um, there is, there is certainly, uh, it's certainly not about love and peace of the hippies and of this sort of previous generation. Um, the, um, the, um, that sort of the, the, uh, what is that festival? What was that festival they had? 68? Jimi Hendrix? What was it? Woodstock. Um, so this is a, this is the reaction to Woodstock. Punk rock. And then from punk rock, um, we have the development in New York, Bronx, of the hip-hop culture, the so-called hip-hop culture, which is basically um, an American-African phenomenon uh, with certain types. It's a cultural thing, and its music is called rap music, okay? But again, if you look at how music has come to us today from Handel's Messiah, from Bach, from Ludwig Wethoven, to punk rock, you know, something has gone wrong. It doesn't take a PhD to work it out, right? And then we come, of course, now to rap music, uh, people like Eminem, a guy called Aesop um, Rocky, and things like that, all kinds of strange names. Um, so rap music basically is now still uh, popular, but is it music? Is it music? Um, I mean, if you compare it to the, to, the com to the complexities of a Requiem Mass or to the complexities of Handel's Messiah or the Waterworks, um, with the incredible compositions and the elaborateness and sophistication and subtlety of the music to a one chord. Those of you who are musicians, rap music only uses one chord. It hardly ever changes from one basic chord, right? And then what you do is you simply um, recite poetry. So it's basically poetry to the chord of E or the chord of C. It's basic. That's all it is. Um, but... If it was that, okay, we can tolerate, but it's more than that. There is extreme misogyny, um, the um, uh, words uh, that di diminish women to objects, just objects. Um, extreme violence, uh, violence that we would not even imagine. Um, just, I can't even say it, you know, what they, what they, what they say in those songs. I mean, I mean, it's sort of like, uh, Jimi Hendrix started it with, I shot my baby down. Hey, Joe, where are you going with that gun in your hand? I'm going down to Mexico. I shot my lady down. And that's the beginning of rock violence. It's the beginning where you have a gun, um, where you use the gun to kill someone. The Beatles never did that. And Frank Sinatra never did that. And Elvis never did that. So... Um, yeah, so the element now that has come down, the use of guns as legitimate in songs, the killing of people as legitimate lyrics, which was unthinkable, is now quite thinkable, right? Um, the use of drugs, of course, was always there, so that's nothing new.
Um, the Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, for example, with the Beatles. Um, oh, anybody heard of Peter, Paul, and Mary? Puff the Magic Dragon? Cannabis. Yeah. Puff the Magic Dragon. <laughs> the Magic Dragon is cannabis. So it, it was there subtly, of course. Um, okay. So now, conclusions. What has happened to music? What has happened uh, uh, to the beauty of Byzantine music, the, Gregor the wonderful Gregorian chants of the Middle Ages, the fantastic music of the great composers, Bach, uh, Beethoven, Handel, magnificent music. And then we come into the 20th century, and then we find a, a sort of a gradual decay until the, the music of God is forgotten, uh, except for minor pockets. As I mentioned before, the Protestant evangelical gospel music, the Catholic Church, our church, and, 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 and so forth, except for those pockets. And then you have the popular Christian music, the sort of Christian rock, by the way. Um, that's probably the best we've got to show a mass a kind of acceptance of rock, of Christian music. But even that is fairly limited. So here are the conclusions. The angel of darkness is a skilled musician. So he knows how to use music. He knows how to use music. Um, he uses music as one of his main weapons to get to you. It's one of his main weapons to get to us. Okay, And I can confess to you right now, before I became a Christian in my early 20s, there is no doubt I was influenced by popular rock music. It is undoubtedly true. What, you know, I looked up to the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, and so forth, Led Zeppelin, and so forth. And their music um, was important to me. Um, Bob Dylan's music was important to me. Okay? But the, 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 the words that they sang were not exactly the words that would bring me to the kingdom of God. Okay? So, thanks be to God, uh, through conversion, where one discovers um, the problems relating to modern music. But the devil, to the majority of people who are not uh, believers, and most people in the 21st century are non-believers um, in the Western world, in the Western world, not so in Africa, um, music becomes a major weapon of his to, to draw you away from God because he has taken God's music, turned it around, and used it for his own self. That's the hijacking part. Um, and then um, he has also managed something else. He has secularized music. So there's no need to have, you know, the word Lucifer mentioned in a song, as some groups do, the fact that he has taken music away from God and made it secular is a big victory for him in itself. So that now when we think of music, we don't necessarily think of God. It's music, you see. That, 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 that's, that's one of his victories. Um, and then um, 
in itself sacred music has very a very small limited audience in terms of mass audiences uh, the number of people who would hear uh, a Byzantine chant on Sundays in the Orthodox Church of Australia we are around about 14,000 on the average who attend church um, Christian rock gospel is probably the only one of all the genres of Christian sacred music that has the widest appeal, but even then it's a niche uh, uh, audience that buys those records. Uh, and then finally, um, the by and large, the most popular music today, the most sought-after music today, is secular music. It is music that has nothing to do with God. It has nothing to do with the sacred. If anything, at best, it becomes erotic. At best, by that I mean compared to killing people. Uh, but even that is very dangerous for young children who are uh, virgins losing their virginity because they believe that, you know, so-and-so, such a song, um, you know, believes that uh, virginity is something weird and wrong, right? So, at, at its very best, it is, um, it can be non-violent. But at its worst, it is violent, it is misogynistic, it is uh, uh, Lucifer-worshipping, uh, it, is, it is really uh, evil. So that's where we are right now. It's a pessimistic ending. It's a pessimistic ending, but it's the truth that we are in a fallen world and the, and the music has fallen. And we as Christians are to be very careful how we evaluate the music we hear. If you're going to keep listening to rap music, whether you like it or not, eventually the words will get to you. Eventually you will be influenced. If you're going to listen to music that glorifies the devil, at some point, it will have some kind of subconscious effect upon you. Okay. Are there any, I'm sure there'll be some discussions or questions or something. Thanks, Father. Um, my name's Harry. I've just got a, uh, just a question. There's a, a song, for example, um, two songs that I wanted to mention. One is by Handel, which is Zadok the Priest. Which one? Uh, Zadok the Priest, which a lot of most of my friends, because I also like football, know as the Champions League song as well. I don't know if many people know that, but anyway. Okay. So it's a song that's uh, a classical song that's also used for the theme of, you know, Champions League soccer, for example. Oh, yeah? Yep. So um, I, I just want you to keep that in mind for my question. Um, the other song is... Uh, from Simon and Garfunkel, uh, Bridge Over Troubled Water. Yes, yes. And I know that when uh, Paul Simon, for example, uh, when they asked him about writing that song, he said that it was the one song that he never knew how he wrote it. Wow. And to him, to him, it, it seemed like a hymn. Uh, wow, yeah. H-Y-M-N. And it it could also refer to Christ, couldn't it? Very much so. The Bridge Over Troubled the, the Water. Words, yeah. The words seem inspired. Um, yes, yes, yes. That's so, interesting. On the first one, I'm not sure what you mean. I'm, I'm not sure. What uh, similar, again, by Handel. It's a song that he, it refers to the coronation of Zadok the priest uh, from oh. the Old Testament. Okay, okay. 
Is that a song yeah. sung? Who sings that? No, it's by uh, Handel, the composer. And oh. it, yeah, it was used in the Queen's coronation as well. Oh, okay. I'm with it's you. really majestic, uh, etc. But my. It, can you sing it? A little bit? <laughs> no, <laughs> no chance. Okay. Um, okay. I know my limitations. But, um, but I was going to ask, just on that point, if, uh, if the devil can also has, um, has uh, sorry, I've just he has been a long time. Yes. If, if he has led to the secular, uh, led, for a, led to the secularization of music as well. Is it not possible, or can we say that God also can subtly inspire us, even through the, the mainstream, with songs like what I just mentioned with Simon and Garfunkel, for example? Yes, yes, of course. And um, as Christians, to what degree can we, uh, for example, is, it, is there also, what role does attitude play in how we actually approach music and whether we perceive it to be good or otherwise, for example? example? Yes. Yes. Or whether it's harmful, etc. Um, the the trouble with um, popular music and 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 we uh, as coming through with a Christian song, it it happens rarely. As I mentioned before, I think in the sixties we had someone called the singing nun, and she brought out Our Father who art in heaven, Our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. And she played the guitar and became a number one hit, The Singing Nun, okay? And then moved down the track a couple of years, you got Godspell and Jesus Christ Superstar. Then it t- it's like calling a- winning the grand final once every 20 years, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anything else? I didn't know Puff the Magic Dragon. I'm quite um, disappointed to hear that because I love that song. Which which one? Puff the Magic Dragon. Oh, Puff the Magic Dragon. <laughs> but how do you know that stuff? I mean, they sing it in kindergartens. I know. Do they know that it relates to that? Some of the most <laughs> dangerous songs are sung in kindergarten. Some of the most revolutionary nursery rhymes uh, were coded, like Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put him back together again. It's a political song. We, we don't know. It. We've lost that. But that, that, that was a political song. It was a revolutionary English song. I think at the time of Cromwell, I'm not sure. Um, um, to get back to Puff the Magic Dragon... It is, it, is, it is considered to be, um, you know, the beatniks, they were in late 50s, and they were into um, marijuana, and they used marijuana. So that was their, their national anthem. Oh, I'm shocked. She doesn't like Peter and Paul and Mary now. <laughs> what about Peter, Paul, and Papadopoulos? Uh, Father, I've got a question. What's a bit loud? Um, why in the Orthodox Church they don't like play the, the wedding march for the, the lady walking down the, the da, church? Da, 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 da. That one? Yeah, or something like that, yeah. 
Yeah, I think you're right. It's something like that. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. Um, I think I could ask Father also to help step in. First of all, it wasn't composed by... We're pretty strict about the kind of music that we play in the church in, in a worship setting. Um, basically, it has to be composed by a monk or a pious Christian or pious Orthodox Christian. Uh, it has to show that it comes from a sacred source, from a sacred origin, from a holy origin, right? Um, whereas in the West, the idea that you could be, you could, you could be a, a, a Beethoven or you could be a Mozart and have a sort of um, questionable moral life, but still compose extraordinary music for God. We don't buy that. We don't accept that as a church, that your lifestyle has to reflect also your music. So for that reason, um, we um, do not have that in our church because it doesn't come from an orthodox origins. Father, anything else you want to add? What you said, Father, is spot on. That's exactly why. And can we extend that with iconography? Um, anyone who's a great painter who knows the skill of painting and drawing, that's not sufficient. It's, it's a spiritual expression of the theology of the church. It's not just religious art. Iconography is a lot more than that. So in the same way with music, hymnography is more than just music. Yep, there you go. Although I must say, in some churches in, a, in the United States, Father, they do, they do play it. Yeah. So maybe if you get married, go to Chicago, okay? <laughs> Justin. Yes, Father. Um, also, what's a, what's a great concern that goes with this... Um, this contemporary uh, music is um, and are satanic signs um, by the um, Illuminati and they're very, very evident in um, gaining attention, um, especially um, um, with um, mason, masonry um, signs, the um, um, pyramid and the eye um, that is used to um, make it really um, trendy, mm. and um, that's been happening for some for some so time on LPs, and so many bands have been using yes. these yes. these um, symbols. Black Sabbath, yeah, correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes. Well, this part of the fall, part of the fall of music. But what is sad is most people today are following it and loving it and love it. Yes, sir. Let's move on. Anybody else? There's somebody there. Hello. Costa here. I don't know. Comment, question. I'm not sure what this is. So basically with what I saw today, from what I understood roughly, is that for many, from the beginning up until the 1950s or something, yes. to me it looks like that people have stopped, have lost their, um, 
faith. They started listening to their loyismi and the name of this devil that you mentioned, Jebel or whatever, and they've given up. And so they've listened to these loyismi and they've started now to outwardly uh, accept and project these loyismi so everyone correct. can see them. Correct. Is that right? Absolutely correct. Okay. Yeah. And you can see it in what we accept today as acceptable that we could never have accepted th- even 40, 50 years ago. So we are being boiled slowly like the frog in uh, accepting more and more of the unacceptable um, and it's happening in front of our eyes. And music is part of the weapon that is being used to do that to us. So I guess the only advice I have is be aware of what is happening, be aware of what is going on around you, musically speaking now, and be discriminate in terms of what you listen and what you don't listen, you know? Yeah. Okay. I think there's one more there. Hi, Femi. I'm a huge fan of yours. I watch your YouTube videos. I think your, um, your life journey to spirituality is amazing. Um, yeah, you're an incredible, inspirational human being. I wanted to ask you, because you are so spiritual and sort of academically minded at the same time, all these signs, you know, the, the music, um, you know, the downfall that we're seeing across society, the wars, the, you know, starvation, the, the recent sort of, you know, acceptance of same-sex marriages, it, it, we seem to be spiralling downhill. Is this kind of the beginning of the end in your view? Like, where are we heading? It's, um, mm. it's a uh, sad uh, time. Yeah, you, you had the microphone too close. But just in a, in a nutshell, what are you asking? In a nutshell, is this? Are we seeing the beginning of the end? I guess with um, you know where society is heading. We're, we're, the times we're in right now. Beyond just the musical. Beyond this time. Y- yeah, like the where times are we we're heading? In now, where, where are we heading? Is this? Are these really the signs that um, yes. we're to expect? There's no doubt that that we're we're caught we're caught in in the. Um, Heilsgeist of the period, we're caught in a period, maybe it will revert itself, maybe not. Um, maybe, um, as the Bible says, uh, this is part of the beginning where we are going to be persecuted, we are going to be marginalized, mm-hmm. and we are uh, eventually uh, pushed away. Maybe it has started the beginning of the end, I, I don't know. Or maybe it's gonna, we're going to go through again an age of piety, an age where we, everybody's going to rebel against these demonic influences that have spread so far in our lives, in our society, in our education, in our music, in, 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 our, uh, in our televisions, in our, um, in our media. Um, perhaps this is just a temporary period and we're going to react. A new generation will come that will say, enough. Enough of this. Uh, we, are, we are going back to God. We have seen this. We have seen periods of revival. We have seen this. I, I don't know. I'm not a prophet. I cannot tell. Mm. All I know is that this period of time is really, really quite, um, quite unique in terms of its immorality and in terms of its uh, demonic influences. It's really quite unique. I heard someone once say that um, Dio Force appearing each year sort of gives us hope that 
you know, we have another year ahead, the year that we may not receive the Aga Force may be sort of a sign of the time, or is that...? As a, one of the signs to come, uh, yes, well, we have many signs. We have many signs. Um, one of them is that love will grow colder um, among us, among the people. Um, there will be false messiahs, false prophets will arise. There will be false teachings to lead the people astray and so forth. So it, it, it does make sense that, that we are being taught that what is right is now wrong. And what we thought was wrong, at least what the Bible says was wrong, is now right. And that's, that's been prophesied. Even people like St. Cosmas the Aetolian has mentioned that. He has said, he has spoken about that. You know? So let's not be surprised. As long as we keep the faith and we keep our relationship to Christ alive, we're okay. I mean, what's the worst they can do? Kill us? Even then, uh, they can't kill your soul because you will be taken to heaven. So we are the victors eventually. We are the final victors. Yes, anything else? If nothing else, there is or there isn't. Hi, Father. My name's James. Uh, uh, so really what you're saying to us is pretty much keep our minds open and be selective about what we listen to and uh, what's happening around us. Correct. That's all we can do. And pray that we be kept away from temptation, you know. That's all we can do. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, now and forever to the ages of ages. Amen. May our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Uh, keep away from, um, the, from the dark demonic powers, okay?